The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. Welcome to the Elk Talk podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk doing it's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk's being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes, but if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. (laughs) Did we hit the record button? I forgot to hit the record (laughs) button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? Good afternoon, Corey Jacobson. Howdy. Happy Friday, Randy. Yeah. Happy Friday. How about that? <laughs> this is the last Friday before elk season really gets started. Right? Yeah, the next Friday is September 1st, so this is the the last Friday before the time of year we all live for. How can I be this fat and out of shape and it's only a week until elk season? <laughs> well, on the flip side, uh, my son Isaac just found out this week he drew a pretty phenomenal elk tag, and uh, he's asking me, Dad, how am I going to make it through the next four weeks? because <laughs> his hunt doesn't start until later in September. Well, I guess he'll just have to work. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I already told him, I'm like, you know what? Your sister now has a full-time dedicated caller. That's that's really nice of you to offer that. <laughs> he was like, no, seriously, I, I want to. That's what I'm going to do. So he's been uh, calling for Jesse, and then uh, when Donnie and I get back from our hunt we're gonna pick him up and head down and uh, it's the same unit that you spent time in last year with your buddy with the super tags so. wow well that's he, one of those units where you just stand there and slam your car door it's like wayne carlton said and i asked him how easy was it to bugle an elk back in the 1980s and he said it was like shutting your truck door or no it, it was like getting out of the truck oh well that unit is definitely a special place i've dreamed about having a archery tag and bow in hand in that unit and it's uh having isaac have it is probably just as good as having it myself so so i've been hiking every evening and bumped into a few elk and i don't know if they're just that fat this year or I just didn't notice them being this fat in late they August pregnant. before. They look pregnant again. Yeah, they, these elk that I've seen are grossly obese. Obese. <laughs> I don't know what their BMI index is. 
But it's going to have to take one hell of a winter to starve these ones out. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's they're still down. Green. It's still green in yeah. elk country right now. At least in our part of the world. I yeah. don't know how it is down in New Mexico and Arizona. I heard they got like a tropical storm down there or something last week. Big we got one here. What? Yeah. I just had my driveway redone last week, and two days later we get the remnants of Tropical Storm Hillary that blew through, and, I mean, it washed ruts down my driveway. We got a well, lot of rain you, in a little bit of time. That's what you get for living up on the mountain. Well, we can tolerate it. See, if you're down in the low country, if you're a downstreamer like me, you're just getting the sandbags out to make sure you don't get flooded out. You're not worried about your driveway washing out. <laughs> go go get your P-Row ready to go take yep. your, your canoe down to the down to the grocery store or something when you live <laughs> down in the flat country like I do. But, yeah, I, I just could not believe... I don't know if it's just the sleekness of their summer coat still there, and they just, like, ripple with fat. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, I know it's the same thing. I mean, cows look literally almost like they're pregnant, like they did, you know, two months ago, three months ago. They put on yeah. weight really, really well this summer. I just think there was an abundance yeah. of good feed, and they didn't have to move for it. Yeah. Well, one of my buddies said he was out calling last night i asked him did you call anything in he said no he said his wife was tired of him practicing in the house so he decided <laughs> to go out in the hills and practice well i'm gonna i'm gonna head out tonight i think and take a bugle tube and just see if there's anything that's stretching its vocal cords yet yeah i'd be hmm. i'd be surprised if i didn't hear one tonight Really? Yeah, it wow. just seems like that week before season, I have better luck hearing a bugle or two than actually opening day sometimes. So. Wow. Huh. Well, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. I, I was thinking to save weight. I was just going to hunt the first week of season up in the mountains with nothing but a cow call. Yeah. I, mean, I, could, leave, I could leave that four-ounce bugle tube back in the truck. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're an ounce counter. I know that. (laughs) I've seen your backpack. It's uh, you got boxes of shotgun shells from duck season still in there. Why are you packing that around? I didn't know it was in there. Yeah, I haven't heard you packing packing a twelve or fifteen pound rock around one day for quite a while. I know, and that's that tells you how hard how overloaded my pack is i didn't even really notice until you told me i can't make you walk the rest of the way out of here with this 12 pound rock in your pack uh, like, I thought, what are you talking about I, I didn't think you would be able to lift your pack and put it on your shoulders without telling that rock was in there and then we just kept no going idea. and kept going and finally we got down to the road and we had probably a two or three mile walk on the road back to the side by side and i'm like i can't let you just plot along and blow your knee out with a <laughs> 15 pound rock in your backpack take your backpack off and you're uh, like what yeah i, I i'm slow I, I tell you or when i take a nap you know i take a serious nap you know you could could pretty much i guess kidnap me hijack me whatever <laughs> take everything i own i'm i'm over there man i'm here to sleep i'm i'm, I'm not here to keep an eye on my gear yeah so 
But and your, yeah, camera, your camera guys weren't very protective of you. They were, uh, they, no, were they were more than happy to film that happen. Yeah, that's standard for them. <laughs> but oh well, well, I I guess I don't got to worry about leaving my four ounce bugle tube at the truck. I might just pack that just yeah. for the heck of it. My guess yeah. is you probably have something else in your pack that would work for a bugle tube anyway. Yeah, I probably could make something work. I Dig don't around know. enough, yeah. Yeah, the thing I I do have a pretty good uh, case full of uh, Montech makes like these really good small game heads. G five, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I got three of those in a case in my backpack. Yeah. Um, I actually have one on an arrow in my quiver. I carry oh, one. Oh yeah, I'm, I mean. Oh, sure. you have three extras. Yeah. <laughs> to replenish yeah. the three that are in your quiver. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think we've yeah. joked before about me carrying four broadheads and one grouse arrow and you carrying four grouse arrows and one broadhead in case you see an elk. Yep. We have talked about that. You looked at my quiver one time and you just shook your head and walked away. <laughs> you know, I, I have never had to shoot five. You know, why would you keep five broadheads? I've never had to shoot five broadheads at anything. <laughs> All that does is I end up having to shoot broadhead that grouse, and I, I have done that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so. <clears throat> but I actually, uh, I bought some some little steel balls. So Tyler and I, we've been do working on that new series, the video series that we're going to launch this fall. And one of the episodes of it, we uh, had a slingshot and BB gun competition, mm -hmm. and so I bought a big old box full of steel balls for the slingshot. I'm thinking mm -hmm. I might carry a slingshot and a pocket full of steel balls with me this year and really use that to shoot grouse. I'm not good enough at that, especially now with my bottom hand. I'd be. I didn't yeah. think I was good enough either, but man, after that little competition, I thought I could be taking the head off of a grouse at 15 yards with this thing. So yeah, now that you've had Lasix and you can see oh, their head at 15 yards, I could shoot their eyeball out. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I haven't had Lasix for 16 years, Corey, so I, I've got an excuse. But someone was asking me the other day how my shooting is going with my, my bum arm. You know, I, I still have that one tendon that isn't attached, and my wrist has a tendency to curve in. And I was telling them, I, like, I hate to admit this, but my shooting this year has actually improved. I mean, like, what? <laughs> I, and this, this isn't the serious part of it is, you know, with the wrist strap, I, when I'm pulling, I have to really relax my wrist. And, it, and it's like one more conscious part of the, okay, bubbles level, am I breathing right? And I'm forcing myself to relax my wrist more because of that tendon gone. And it's amazing if you relax your wrist and just let your finger do just like this little bit of tension. Yep. How good your form gets because you're not in this like highly strong hand tense, boom, pull the trigger. It's just like uh, let the weight of your finger on that trigger and you just focus on aiming. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hate to say that after all these years of shooting a bow that I had to run my arm through a glass shower door to improve my shooting form. But 
<laughs> uh, well, speaking of shooting, we did, uh, you and I were talking before we jumped on, and we've gotten, like, I don't know, 30 or 40 emails with questions here just in the last week. Yeah. And uh, got one here from, uh, from a listener. He asked, when should I start shooting broadheads, and what's the best way to tune your bow from field tip to broadhead? Uh, so yeah. the the date he sent that was uh, August seventeenth. Oh boy, that's a bummer. He's yeah. about he's about eleven months late. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> later than when I would start shooting broadheads. I shoot yeah. broadheads the day I set my bow up, <clears throat> and yeah. that's that's how I know that they're tuned. I don't wait until two weeks before season because typically. If you haven't paid that close of attention to the tuning initially, it's not going to be tuned. And we're talking your bow. The, you don't tune yeah. broadheads. You don't tune arrows necessarily. It's it's your bow's tuning that makes the arrows shoot the same with field tips and broadheads. Yeah. And so that's just, I mean, I shoot, I set up the bow, I shoot it through paper, and I get it shooting a good hole through paper, paper tune it. And then the next thing I do is I grab a broadhead and a field point and I go to a target at 20 yards and I shoot the broadhead and then I shoot the field point. And if they don't slap each other at 20 yards, it's not fine tuned. And so I do that initially when I set up the bow and then there's, I mean, you always want to check it. And if you wanted to check it, you know, I'd probably start checking it the first of August, but if they aren't shooting the exact same, it's because either your arrows are not spined correctly or your bow is not set up so that it's shooting perfectly tuned. Yeah. I, I have three broadheads that, you know, they're dull obviously by now, but I rotate them across every arrow that I own. And I don't know if it's just the arrows that I'm using are just so good for, my my bow and the 61 pounds i shoot at or what but man i get a lot of consistency and yeah. i don't know why that is i hear a lot and i'm shooting a two blade um you know a lot of people are like oh boy you're gonna get a lot of planing and you, you boy that's gonna be tough to tune but i'm like hmm, i don't know maybe i just stumbled <laughs> on the winning combination or something but uh every night i, I have one target so i have a foam target the Elk Talk podcast has been sponsored from the beginning by our friends at Go Hunt. And you may think of them about draw odds and all the other information that we use and we talk about. But the one thing a lot of people don't know is they have the best Western hunter gear shop anywhere. So if you're interested in your buying gear and you want to get a discount on regular priced items out on their gear shop, go out to GoHunt.com and go to the shop. And when you do, Use promo code ELKTALK when you check out, and you're going to save quite a bit of money on all those regular priced items. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. ELKTALK podcast is also brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. 
It is now part of the suite of courses out there at OutdoorClass.com. So if you want to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and save some money, go out to OutdoorClass.com and use Elk Talk as your promo code, and you'll get 20% off. But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting. You're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barklow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. OutdoorClass.com will get you the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code ELKTALK and save 20%. I have two deer targets, and then I have a block that's one of the ones you can shoot broadheads into. And uh, I just rotate them through, and it's one out of every three arrows is a broadhead. And they just... I don't know. They said someone would say, "Well, yeah, they're all terrible shots, Randy. You're consistently terrible." But uh, the other thing I've been doing in the last few years is at low light. I've noticed how my eyes have a have a tougher time at lower light when you're looking through that little peep. I'm talking like last low light. So I do have these little square, like little diamonds, maybe half inch by half inch of. uh, orange reflective tape on there um maybe that's why my shooting's better i've never seen an elk walking around i was gonna say (laughs) reflective tape on there so maybe i should pull that off and then see how it works but the reason i do that is i'm trying to have this little specific spot that i am focusing on rather than oh here's the lungs on that target or here's the heart on that target it's like no i want to try nick the corner off that little diamond in small miss small and you know now that i say that yeah i've been shooting better this year and da da da. i'll probably airball one way over the top or way underneath <laughs> a big bull elk and the audience will be like yeah old newberg he's really got it polished up this maybe year maybe he but. needs to touch up his lasik <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. For me, the beauty of, of just experimenting and doing that over the course of the summer is I can get bored just going and shooting, you know, six arrows for breakfast, six for lunch, six for dinner. So I, and I just throw on some broad heads and kind of have my, my pet arrows, if you want to call it that right now. I got my, my four best arrows that maybe they're not the best, but I, I've marked them as that. For my own my own mental psyche, right? Like, man, well, they aren't arrow? the only four that are the same length. That that's not how you find your favorite four, is it? No, I, I, it's, it's all based on color. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the episodes that Tyler and I filmed in our in our new series was with bows, and we show yeah. up, and Tyler has five arrows. They're different lengths. They have different fletches on them. Two of them I can't even spin on my thumb because they're so bent they bounce off it before. They're like, is this what it's like hunting with you? Like you show up first day and it's like, I found these five arrows in the closet and drug them out. These two are my kids. And this one I found at a a bow shoot last year. Yeah. Kind of like the old boys I grew up deer hunting with. You know, they had a whole handful of 30-30 bullets. You never, or cases, you you never knew. I got an old Winchester silver tip, and I got a Remington core lock here. One of them's 120 grain, one of them's 140, and this one feels heavier. Yeah, yeah, I just stick them in there. They all work the same. Yeah. (laughs) 
makes you wonder how many guys show up with four different spined arrows and oh, the length I of arrows. Oh, I guarantee it. Yeah, I've hunted with people that literally stop. They're like, I only have three arrows left. I'm going to stop by Walmart and grab a couple more. And they come out like, they only had two of the ones that I like. <laughs> and so I got this other one. Well, the two that they like weren't the same as the other three. So they literally have arrows that are full length they didn't get them cut or anything they screw a broadhead into it and shoot it at a pipe plate at 20 yards and it hits the bottom edge of the pipe plate and like oh that's close enough and they go hunting and that's that's usually about the last time that we share a hunting camp together well don't be making fun of my family like that well, you know i just you know i'd, I'd go there for a thanksgiving dinner but i probably wouldn't spend a week in hunting camp with them uh, you know, one of the the listeners sent us an email. Uh, he sent it today, and he said yesterday he broke his collarbone, and he's I trying to figure that. out how he's going to pack his elk out. Yeah. Uh, I can give him Bo Beatty's phone number for Wilderness Ridge <laughs> Trail Llamas. <laughs> I was sitting there reading that, and I, I was trying to think because he said, you know, what about some kind of a skid or a sled that I could hook up and pull out, you know, with the bum collarbone and Obviously, you can't carry a backpack with any weight in it. And so I was thinking of all these ideas. He said, you know, Corey, with your engineering degree and Randy, as long as you've been hunting, have you guys seen anything? And I didn't even think about llamas. But, yeah, that's the that's the easy no-brainer solution that he just needs to take a llama with him. Yeah. You know, I, I do have a friend in Canada who uses dogs. He said each dog can carry about 20 pounds. I'm like, well, you're going to have to. You know, I, I didn't throw that out there as a suggestion because uh, at 20 pounds of load, that's an awful lot of loads for a bull elk. But, Not only that, but I mean, you're putting 20 pounds of fresh elk meat on a dog's back. How many pounds do you yeah. end up with when you get back to back to the I house? Know. I don't know. <laughs> Any dog I know wouldn't just pack 20 pounds of meat on its back without sampling yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's a, a funny story. Can I are you, are you open for a tangent? So, dogs eating. So, my stepdad, I had to watch his dog for a while when I was a college student in Nevada. He had this 18 year old Chihuahua. It looked like an overgrown rat. And uh, I'd shot this mule deer, and I'm trimming it up out in the garage. <laughs> and the dog's name was Sam. And the, you know, right uh, where the rib, the flank is behind the ribs before you get to the hind quarter. Well, I cut that up and I'd laid it off to the side and I'm quartering the rest of it. And all of a sudden I hear, ah, ah, ah. this little rat had taken that long strip of meat and had inhaled it and was d gagging and dying and couldn't breathe. So I'm looking at that 18 year old convalescing misfit i'm like i don't really this dog has bit me three or four times i just let it choke to death there they so pull out this big long string of venison out of its mouth and it just went and laid over on the corner of the the garage there and just panted and it it died the next day what yeah, I told him, I said, look, it died old age. It, it, it. <laughs> but I told him that day, I said, man, I don't think Sam is doing that well. He's like, I wonder why. I said, I don't know. I just rescued him. I gave him the Heimlich there, and he coughed out a big ball of venison about as long as my arm. You know, this is like an eight-pound dog or something. 
So he blamed me for killing his little chihuahua rat. That, but anyhow, when you talked about the dog eating all the meat, yeah. that, yeah, that got me thinking about that. So. <laughs> I had nothing to do with elk hunting. But some people have told us that, you know, the, the reason they listen to this podcast isn't necessarily for the elk hunting advice, but some of the stories. So there we go. Maybe Randy killing the holes. Yeah. yeah, maybe Randy killing his stepdad's chihuahua rat. Maybe that'll be a story worth telling. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. So, <clears throat> we got we got some other ones there. Most of them are about calling. Yeah, there's one. Yeah. Uh, there's one that somebody sent in. They said that they have a question related to muzzleloader hunting, and their partner oh, yeah, and them that. have the Colorado muzzleloader tags. One of them has a bull tag, and the other has a cow tag. And the question is, should we go for a cow if we find cows and no bull, or should we hold off for a bull since it's the rut? I'd say shoot whatever the heck you yeah. want. Yeah, no, you know, <laughs> one in the one in the one on the ground is better than two in the bush or something. There's a saying about yeah. that that yeah, don't don't sniff a gift elk. <laughs> yeah i uh when i read that one it got me thinking and i told michael uh here in the office he's the guy filming my idaho elk hunt because you told me that i might be able to shoot a cow elk on yeah. that archery tag i have i did went you, and looked did it you up verify? yeah the answer yeah. is yes okay. uh and i told michael i said you know i'm down to eating nothing but mule deer burger in my fr- in my freezer, if I see a cow elk, I'm shooting that thing. He's like, really? You, you, you'd shoot a cow elk? I'm like, Michael, you you better have that camera rolling if it's anything other than a spotted calf. Because I last year I shot an elk and I shot a pronghorn. <clears throat> and the only thing I got left is the mule deer meat I'm, bar- I'm not borrowing. I stole from Matthew, my son. <laughs> I mean, my freezer is looking pretty, you know, what's old Mother Hubbard went to her cupboard and the cupboard was bare or whatever. <laughs> That's my freezer right now. So if I go to Idaho, I, I'm not going to have to have the dilemma that guy's having in Colorado there about bull or cow. It's a, this illegal elk, Spike, Boone and Crockett, whatever, cow, yearling, boom. Well, not boom, boom. So. Uh, yeah no that's uh they eat the same you've got a tag for each one so i mean get one out of the way whether it's a bull or a cow and then go hunt the other one don't worry about you know you scaring mean? well the guy's question about would you shoot a cow oh i got you yeah. his question i yeah. thought you were talking well, to me i'm like no, oh, i didn't know i got two for the price of one down well, there and no, I, oh. you, you shoot either sex not both sex okay yeah, <laughs> either yeah okay. one, one or the other <laughs> But no, uh, I mean, in your case, you can shoot either one. They've got two tags. So they can shoot either one. So it's yeah. you know, don't don't pass one up waiting for another. Yeah, I, you know what happens there? Then you pass one up, and then you get to the last couple of days of season. And you're like, boy, we should have shot that one on day two. What were we thinking? Yeah, yeah. I, yep. I'd way rather be sitting in camp eating tenderloins that night, doing the yuck yuck, laughing it up. Uh, I don't care if it had antlers or not, but. Yep. All right. So that, that's I mean, what I would do. My approach would be shoot the first one you have an opportunity for. You both have a tag, both be hunting. If a cow comes in, the guy with the cow tag gets it. The bull comes in, 
guy with the bull tag gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I was doing some e-scouting last night. And the other part that's really troublesome about this year with all this water and moisture is the corresponding amount of vegetation and forage growth makes e-scouting a lot harder. Oh, yeah. There are going to be elk scattered from the low country to the high country, from the southwest face wrapped all the way around over to the southeast face. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There, there is no lack of food in a lot of the, I don't know, I can't speak for the entire West, but I think uh, the Rocky Mountain region has gotten more moisture this year and has more abundant feed in locations where there might not have ever been good feed before. And so, you know, the elk, there's water everywhere. Yeah. The elk are just going to be scattered, which is awesome. That's you. Yeah. I think you're going to find elk in more places this year. It might not be the big groups. Uh, when they scatter like that, you might not have the same competition for cows. You know, as many bulls trying to, to get in on the cows, but it's nice that you're going to be able to go out every day and maybe hike up a different ridge and be into fresh elk sign. Yeah. So that's it. <laughs> now my e-scouting map, I'll look up my, my go hunt terrain analysis and all that. I, I have so many waypoints. I'm probably going to have to put more phone mem foam, phone memory, not foam memory, phone memory. <laughs> Yeah, to get all my waypoints in there. It's like, holy cow. And then I'm only, in, in each of my hunts, I only do five days. There's no way I'm going to be able to cover all these potential waypoints in five days. So I'm going to have to start in the next four or five days here. I'm going to have to stake a plan out and stick with it. Because yep. right now, when it's this wet and you overlay the moisture maps and everything, it's like, oh, boy, this is <laughs> this is hard. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Maybe yeah. I won't see anything. Maybe. <laughs> keep having this premonition I'm going to get eaten by a grizzly bear. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I've told a couple people that. Well, you just like, told a lot of people that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I have that this year, Corey. I hunt grizzly bear country all the time, and I don't know why this year it's just in my head. Man. Yeah, so... I, I went and bought an extra bear spray. It's like, well, Randy, you know, if they're chewing on your head and one bear spray didn't work, first of all, they probably broke your arms and you aren't going to be able to pull off the second one. And, uh, I don't know. I, my mind's been wandering about this hunting in grizzly bear country more than it ever has. I don't know why. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old and I'm thinking about the... The fact that so far Father Time is undefeated, so maybe I'm, just, <laughs> I'm finally doing the appropriate level of risk assessment. Maybe that's it. Yeah. So. Maybe it's all the emails we get from everybody expressing their concern about hunting in grizzly country that's got you kind of that might be. Maybe I should be concerned. Yeah, that, we've got quite a few uh, emails about that over the summer of yeah. what do you do and how do you do and. You know, the one podcast you talked about uh, how you stay out of grizzly bear country after about the first week or so a season because there's so many gut piles around. Yeah. Uh, some guy from Wyoming emailed us and talked about 
the he he kind of does the same thing, but he he'll hunt until the first gunshots. Uh, uh, he, he's of the theory that the the gunshots are what attracting them. them. See, yeah. I, I really think, and I've seen it towards the end of September. It, it seems like the berries dry up, and the bears leave that high country like mid September into the latter part of September. And they come yeah. down into the areas where it seems like we're more concentrated hunting. And so, yeah. you know, I, I I don't think it's necessarily gunshots because the gunshots in a lot of areas don't start until October 15th. And I've seen yeah. bears really start showing up the, the end of September. So that's, you know, yeah. that's why I do it. If I, I really think that there's always going to be bears in that area, but they're going to be a lot more concentrated in that area the later in the season you go. And so... Yeah, I think yeah. your your chances are the best of not having a bear encounter the first day of the archery season, you know, the 1st of September, and every day that goes by, the, the odds go up of having an encounter, just because mm. more bears are going to be coming out of the high country and into that area, and I think they know it as a food source. I mean, they know that those gut piles are going to start showing up more abundantly. The berries are drying up. There's going to be gut piles down a little lower, so let's head down there and see how many gut piles there are. <laughs> Yeah, and look at there's there's these gut piles that are still walking around with two legs. Let's <laughs> let's go carry one of those. Yeah, so we got an email, and then I also got a text message from a guy I know who listens to the podcast, and they were both about a comment we made last time. Of, we're kind of joking about the guy who drives his ATV or his pickup truck, turns it off, and twenty seconds later lets out a bugle. Yeah, and both of these people said well laugh it up now funny boy but it works where i'm at because there's roads everywhere so yeah. if the elk were gonna avoid a road or a bugle from a road they'd have to leave the county i never yeah. really thought about that because i don't hunt areas with that many roads no and that's i mean when i make that comment it is it's to give there to to suggest maybe waiting a couple minutes the moment <laughs> you shut the diesel off before you bugle because Typically, in my experience, an elk isn't going to bugle over the top of a truck driving by. You know, on public land, even if there's a lot of roads, yeah, they're used to it, and they're going to hunker down in the brush till the truck goes by and it gets quiet, and then they'll pick back up. But, mm -hmm. yeah, my, my point in saying, you know, making fun of people who get out of their truck, you can hear the radio still going, then you can hear the seatbelt chime going <laughs> off, and then they slam the door, and then three seconds later you hear do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. You know, that's... <laughs> The elk aren't that dumb. Even even a bull elk in the middle of a rut, you know, all he can think about is fighting and breeding. He's still going to be like, hold on, that's yeah, sounded like well, a county I, fair up there. We got a couple comments though. People saying, "Well, I'm not buying in on your theory, boys." So, no. Okay, I get yeah. it. I'm all about being mobile and you know using road systems to go and find vehicles, but yeah. I, I don't slam the door and follow it up with a bugle. I, I give them a little bit of time to let the woods quiet down. <laughs> I don't want them correlating a truck door slamming and a bugle going off to happen yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So I, I know I'm, a, I'm, I'm looking forward to this Idaho hunt. I don't know. Right? Yeah. I've, I've, well, I've never shot a bull in Idaho. So I might shoot a spotted calf before a bull comes along. So maybe I won't shoot an, a bull in Idaho. But uh, I know I'm just country I've looked at. 
lots and lots, driven by so many times. And I said, someday I'm going hunting in there. Well, I guess someday. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Someday's here. That's right. So I, I'm so going to what, what call you, my, Sorry, you're the only one that has a tag there, right? Yep. Just you. So if you shoot an elk, you're just going to pack up and head back home. Yeah. 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 Go shoot a limited grouse. There you go. Afterwards or beforehand or whatever. <laughs> you got the license. Speaking of which, somebody emailed us and said, how do you make grouse taste good? <laughs> it's as easy as getting out of a truck. Yeah, I, I got to pull that one up. I don't mean to rat the guy out. I'm not going to use his name, but he said that he's never cooked a grouse that was anything other than a tasted like a rubber, rubber ball. duck. A rubber duck. Yeah. 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 That's like, whoa, wait a second. So last year I cooked up a few grouse that we shot. They tasted like rubber ducks. I put them in a hot cast iron, maybe overcooked them. I want to enjoy these birds because lately we've been harvesting a lot more grouse than elk. What's the tastiest <laughs> way to brew up these birds? Yeah, don't put them in a cast iron and cook them real hot. Yeah. So if That's anything, the best way to make them tough. Yeah, that's like my Grandma Harriet. My Grandma Harriet, if it was meat, white meat, red meat, didn't matter, she would cook it within an inch of its life, and then she'd put it back in for another half hour. <laughs> yeah. I think the first charcoal briquette was invented by my Grandma Harriet, and it was the way that she cooked meat. <laughs> well, one is dry as a board, and probably break your tooth on it. There's no juice, no flavor left. It, you know, and then you get these northern Minnesota boys. They just put a bunch of condiments, a bunch of pucky on there. <laughs> this will, uh, you know, the way my grandma Harriet cooked meat, it was nothing more than a condiment delivery vehicle. <laughs> and uh, so, it was no better than a slice of overcooked stale bread. Yeah, yeah, I may as well just have a ketchup sandwich or, you know, get some A1 sauce and put it on, you know, the hot dog or something. And, you know, same thing. And uh, So what's so the secret I, to cooking a grouse? If you're out in the field, you're at camp. Slow. Yeah. Okay. Once the juices are slightly and just, you know, all they got to be is clear. You're done. So do you cook it in... Grease? Do you cook it in butter? Either it'd work. I take. I usually have a little vat of extra virgin olive oil, in just a little pan, and I keep a lid on the pan so that it, one it keeps moisture in, cooks. It keeps the heat in, so the top is getting cooked, so you don't have to keep it in there as long. And then I got my special seasoning that I use for grouse. That someday I'm going to start the Randy Newberg Seasoning Company. Ooh. You're going to share what that is? No. My so wife would divorce me. If somebody had just a, a lemon pepper concoction or something like that, it would probably work great. It would work really, really good. And if you put a little bit of garlic and a little bit of cayenne in there and maybe a little bit of paprika... Uh, a little bit of white pepper, a little lemon pepper. I've seen your uh, hunting camps before. <laughs> yeah. All you gotta do is just you you prepare it at home and you you know make a little bag and you just bread it in that. You don't even it's not even like a breading like you know you don't dredge it through a bunch of egg yeah. whites or milk and roll it in there. You just you're trying to get 
the spices there and uh, the flavors, and you're looking for flavors that are helpful with the white meat of rough grouse. Yep. And uh, so, don't. And if you happen to find a couple shaggy mane mushrooms along the side of the road after a rainstorm, and cut those up and put them in there with a little bit of butter. There is nothing uh-huh. better than grouse and mushrooms at hunting camp in September. Oh, I've never done that part of it. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to check it out. But anyhow, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when someone tells me, oh, well, I've tried that elk. That, that, that's just tough as all get out. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, you must have cooked the shank down underneath the front leg or something and nothing but tendon. And cooked it within an inch of its life <laughs> yeah or you just you, you know you cook everything to an internal temperature of 800 degrees you know yeah they have to go down to the blast furnace at the steel plant to get enough heat to cook meat to their liking well, it would warm the sun up if they put that piece of meat next to it yeah I mean, you should almost be able to get arrested for wanton waste the way that some people cook their elk meat no and I had you know and, and it's like anything, you know, we talk about tuning a bow and it's all about the bow. Yeah, there's always going to be exceptions that just yeah. certain broadheads just aren't going to fly good out of a certain bow at a certain speed, you know, with all that. And it's the same, I'm sure, with elk, but I have never eaten a gamey elk. I have never tasted an elk that tasted gamey, but I, you know, yeah. people say, oh, old bull, they're tough and they're gamey and they, you know, they're rotten and uh, an elk that... You know, you you shoot it and it runs off and dies an hour later. All that adrenaline's there in it and it makes it gamey and it makes the meat bad. And I've never experienced any of that. And I've I've been on elk that have lived overnight and were shot and finished off the next day. And they tasted fine. I've found elk that laid in the heat for a couple hours with the hide on. They were fine. I think the, the key point is to get the meat cooled as quickly as you can after the elk dies. And that doesn't mean it has to be within 10 minutes, but the faster you do it, the more tender the meat's going to be, the better flavor that's going to be in it. The longer that hide sits on there and the meat cools slowly with that hide on there, that's when you start getting into troubles. Yeah. Yep. And I don't care what Grandpa said or Uncle Billy Bob. If you have an elk that through an arrow or a bullet, you kind of have a transverse, you know, path of, of the projectile and you hit some gut, do the gutless method. Yeah. Don't open that thing up and let those <laughs> gut juices roll down the inside of the back, you know, the hind quarters. Oh, my goodness. Yes. It, you're yeah, gonna lose. I, you're gonna lose the tenderloins on that elk. If the gut matter has been exposed to the inside, the tenderloins yes. have been exposed, and you just have to let those go. But yes. I'd rather lose a you know. And much as I love a tenderloin, it's way better to stomach that going. You know, not coming home with you, than watching brown and green gut matter flow over the exposed hind quarter as it comes out of the body cavity. Yeah, and then you hang it in your game bag for a day, and it's warm out, and you're wondering, man, you smell that? What's that? (laughs) Smells like your neighbor when they threw the fish guts in the garbage can for a week in a hot 
August sun, you know? It's like, well, <laughs> you yeah. It smells like your neighbor's garbage. I don't know yeah. if throwing fish in the garbage can is going to make your neighbor smell bad. Oh, did I say that wrong? <laughs> garbage was stinking it up the other day. Oh, really? And, uh, oh, yeah. I'm like, Michael, what the hell did you throw in there? I didn't even <laughs> look. But anyhow, that's about what your, your elk meat's going to smell like if you open up a punctured gut cavity and say, well, Grandpa said we got to do the traditional method. You know what? There's a reason we do the gutless method. That's well, not only that... that then you climb into the body cavity and you go up to your elbows, up to the up to yeah. the neck, and cut the windpipe out and dragging all that stuff through the whole body cavity, and yeah. you got it on your pants and your arms, and it's just yeah. it's a mess. So yeah, there's I have found no reason under any circumstance that I have to gut an elk anymore. There are times when I will, right? But those are very rare times, and. There's really yeah. no reason not to do the gutless. Yeah. So debate we've been having in our office, you're on a slope. Do you want the elk's head down slope or you want the elk's head up slope? Or do you just, wherever he lays, that's how I do it. Well, if I'm doing the gutless method, it really doesn't matter, but I always like the head uphill. Yeah. Just because that's I, the way that I, that I approach the elk. You know, I start behind the hind quarter, behind the front quarter, making my incision to get the skin off and so it's just yeah so one of the things i'm going to try this year because there's one person who firmly believes that if the head is slightly downhill it relieves all the pressure and it makes it easier to do the hind quarters sure. because now the, the guts roll up into the cavity instead of down yep. i'm probably going to give it a try because i'm like you i've always done it that way and a lot of times it just depends on where it lays and, you know, what terrain and if it's, you know, really steep or there's a bunch of dirt or whatever. It's like, okay, how can I do this as precisely as possible from where it lays right now? Yeah. I, I know the cuts I got to get off here. There doesn't have to be a certain sequence. No. Sometimes I'll do the hind quarter first and sometimes I'll do the front quarter first, then the back, then the, the back strap and then the hind quarter. It just depends on the situation. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I hope I have to contemplate that <laughs> when I'm out there this year. Well, and I think if it was on a steep hill, I would still rather do it sideways, not with the head up or down, but with it level, because then yeah. you're able to get underneath the elk and... You're, you're not yeah. bent over leaning downhill, reaching farther. You still have everything yeah. right in front of you there. You're still going to make the cuts. The guts are, yeah, they might be back a little bit, but they aren't forced between the, the pelvic bone there. And yeah. then when you do have to roll it over, you know, you can grab the back leg, drag it down the hill a little bit, roll the elk, and then just pull it side hill again. And Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's probably six of one, half dozen of the other. I don't think there's a wrong way. No. And I just encourage people go and do it and try it because there's no better way to learn than experience. Yeah. And, you know, just some basic things is one, don't punch, punch the gut when you're doing this. <laughs> you know, don't, if you made a great long shot, don't go and jab it around and put a big hole in the, in the gut sack there. Yeah. And, uh, 
if for some reason an arrow or a bullet did puncture the gut, stay away from that. Yeah. Work around it. Work outside of it. So, yeah, we've uh, we've had some questions about uh, warm weather meat care. Recently. I was just going to say, yeah, that was my and, next uh, topic. I was talking about had a few emails of you know I'm going to be hunting the first week of September. What do I do with meat when I get an elk down? Because I probably only have a few hours before it starts spoiling. So, yeah, a couple things. Number one, you've got a long time before meat starts spoiling, even right. in hot weather. The, the heat from an elk that causes it to spoil comes from inside it's the elk. Internal, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, it's the bone heat, you know, the, the heat that's right up, especially that back leg, that back, that hind quarter, that big ham on there is just a great big ball of insulation. And it's yeah. keeping that heat along the leg bone inside there and making it hard for that heat to escape. So first thing you do, get the hide off. That gets heat coming out of the meat quickly. And then I always take a knife and just run it right down along that back leg bone and open it up so it's exposed so all that heat can just pour out of there. And it does pour out of there. And if it's even if it's 80 degrees outside, you get in the shade and you open that up and let that heat come out. And within 40 minutes or so, that meat's going to be cool to the touch. When you put your hand on it, you're like, wow, that feels almost cold. So yep. it'll, it'll lose heat quickly. And that's, I think, the key in hot weather. Yeah, if the hide stays on it or if the, if the, uh, the meat's not opened up so that, that heat stays against the bone, your rate of, of uh, thermal transfer, <laughs> that's going clear <laughs> back to college days and thermodynamics, but the rate because of the heat outside there's not as much of a delta in the change in temperature, so it's going to be slower to reduce that temperature from the bone to the outside. You open the meat up, and it's going to come out a lot faster, and uh, it, it just moves faster through air than it does through that meat. So get it opened up, get the hide off of it, get the heat away from the bone, and then hang it in the shade. And even in 80-degree weather, that meat's probably going to be okay, even for several days if you keep it in the shade. Find a creek where it's cool along there, hang it there in the shade next to that creek, and that meat's going to keep. Yeah, that's that's the easy answer. Is you know, once you get it off the animal, then get it as cool as possible. But you you think about the mass and the heat in those bones, and then you've got this big stomach cavity that has bacteria that's still in there working. That's why you get the bloating after an animal dies, right? All this heat and this bacteria. Uh, those are the those are the problems. Yeah. It's pretty common sense after that of, you know, shade, wind, you know. Yeah. Moisture's bad. Don't dip the yeah. quarter in the creek. I mean, if you put it in a garbage bag and put it in water, that's different. But I've heard people yeah. say, I took my game bag, so, you know, it's, it's fine. It's not getting any dirt on it or anything. And I just set the quarters in a creek and let the water run over them. It's like, yeah. uh, that's that might be great right then for cooling them off. But when you yeah. take that meat out of the creek, it's soaked in water. And that yeah. is a that's a bed of bacteria waiting to breed right there. Yeah, if you wonder about that, I'd suggest you go take a little plastic tray 
put some water in it and just set it outside and let some pollen and dirt and stuff blow in there and give yourself about a day and see if you'd be interested in drinking the scum that grew off the top of that water. Better yet, do that and take a chunk of meat and set in that tray with some water in it and leave it outside. Uh, yeah, had yeah, a little organic matter there. Yeah. Uh, we One got an email. Question. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say on that topic, somebody asked, they said they had, uh, I think they said they'd done an internet search. You know, we talk about sometimes taking our meat to, to the closest town and mm. hanging it there. And they yeah. said, you just call around for places. Uh, I can tell you right now, there's not a way to search Google for elk storage. Uh, mm. How do you find places to hang it? So first thing I do if I'm hunting a, an area I've not been to, I'll just call the closest towns and call the the game processors there. And a lot of times those game yeah. processors will let you hang meat in their cooler for, you know, they'll, they'll charge you for the cooler yeah. space. Um, but that's usually what we do. Most of the places that we hang our elk while we're still out hunting uh, are at butchers, game processors that we call. And so just call around all the towns close to where you're hunting. You know, even the little towns, a lot of times we'll have a game processor and a lot of times they're more than happy to take $25 a day from you or something and let you hang the meat there. Yeah. No, that, and, you know, I, I usually am very comfortable for three days in the backcountry, even when it's warm weather. Yeah. Uh, and we're not good enough hunters in my crew that we got to worry that we're going to shoot two elk in three days. So <laughs> <laughs> usually we get the heck out of there, but, yeah. uh, uh, we we got a question. Someone was says they're coming to Montana, and they've heard me talk about the preference of forage for elk starts with, you know, forbs and then goes to grasses and last to shrubs. And they're like, yeah, we came out this summer, and you know, there's grass everywhere. There's forbs everywhere. It's like, yep. So in my hikes this week, this year's a bit of an exception where there are still a few forbs out there. Uh, and the forbs that I'm seeing the most of are the lupines. Uh, that's a northern uh, plant. It's got it's usually tall, stemmy, and purple. Has a purple uh, flower on top. Yeah, elk will mow that down. Just like you know, I'm sitting there with a bowl of ice cream with chocolate syrup, man. <laughs> just like get out of the way. Someone could get hurt here. You put your hand near that. <laughs> So I still I have on some of the 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 north and northeast and northwest slopes I've I've been still seeing some lupine which this is really late for that yeah. usually it's dried up by now it's usually like uh, a Memorial Day into June type of a thing and then it's done yep um, haven't seen much in the way anymore of larkspurs the the balsam root that's all dried up. I mean, even in a wet year like this, balsam root will dry up really quick. Uh, and it is. That's that stuff, people. If you're wondering what balsam root is, it's like the noisiest stuff you're going to ever walk through. <laughs> and between you and where you got to get to, you'll you'll see an elk and you got to get to some cover. And that's the time there's a big patch of dried out, noisy balsam root that is like walking i'm trying to think what it's, it's like if no, you're like up, walking through a, a playground filled with rice krispies or something yeah you can't take and, a step uh, without making noise yeah so you you can count on those being dried up also so 
the things that are really up there right now are the grasses, the fescues and the, the rye and the blue grasses are just, they're as tall as, I mean, they're mid chest on me right yeah. now. Some of them it's like, Whoa. And I, the, the elk that I bumped the other day that were just, I don't want to say bump They're you know, they're just feeding and they look over and they're like, what is that on the ridgeline? And it's me. <laughs> they, they moved off. Uh, they were actually in the bunch grasses up in the lodge pole. You know, they were up pretty high. Uh, so bunch, bunch grass, is that like a, a bear grass, like the kind of thicker blade grass that comes out of a clump and kind of cascades over on all the sides? Uh Kind of. Uh, well, it doesn't come on a really big clump. Okay. Uh, I'm going to Google it here and see if I got a picture. Well, I can't show. Because I just, you know, bear grass, I think we're all familiar with bear grass, and I've never seen that being much of a food source for elk. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Bunch grasses, they're, they're usually going to grow uh, like on the edge of a burn. You'll find them a lot. Um, uh, it's, you know, and there's different, different types of bunch grasses, uh, like, uh, there's blue bunch, there's, uh, you, you hear a lot of people you'd be walking around, they'll say, oh yeah, that's bunch grass. It's like, well, that's really needle grass. Well, yeah, same thing. No, that's <laughs> tussock grass. Yeah, same thing. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of different ones out there. They just grow but, in clumps, basically, rather yep. than a nice manicured fescue exactly. ryegrass patch. It's just right. a, a clump of grass, and then there might be yep. some dirt and pine needles and then another clump of grass. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the tall stuff that you see right now is usually the rise and the blue grasses. Uh, but I was just looking the, that group of elk, once they finally did move off, I watched them for a while. They were head down feeding on the lower grasses, which tells me they weren't, I mean, they weren't going after the stuff that was up to my waist. Yeah. They're, they're into the the shorter stuff. You know, the taller grasses get real stemmy and lose their nutritional value. And dry so out. they're looking, yeah, and they're looking for that stuff. You know, the fresher, newer, and shorter it is, usually the highest nutritional value it has yeah. per the uh, per pound of of consumed forage. Uh, so if you're out there and you find really fresh elk dropping somewhere or you see tracks which are a little harder to see now it's easy in the snow but pay attention to where that's at and what forage is there yeah there's a reason they walked right through there <laughs> yeah yeah it's like oh they're all milling around here oh okay go check that out even if they move up go check out and see what it was that they were foraging on because right then and there that day you're hunting and the next couple days Whatever that is, is probably the best forage on the mountain at that time, yeah. at that elevation. So I, there's so many variables that go into it. Uh, the person was asking me, where can I find forbs this time of year if that's the best forage? Well, you're not going to find many of them. They've had to transition from forbs to grasses, and then they'll go to shrubs. Now, if you were in places that have... Um, 
you know, mahogany, uh, gambles oak, even if it's mostly aspens, they'll already have transitioned to those shrubs now because there's still a lot of nutritional value in those shrubs, not as much as in grasses, but, uh, you know, one, especially when, you know, Colorado comes to mind, right? You just see a whole sea of oak. Yeah. It's like, who wants to go chase an elk in there? <laughs> oh, guess what? The elk are in there. In there. Yeah. yeah, they're in there. And there's an awful lot of food in there, and they don't have to move very far to find it or to to go after it. I, I think you got a, a good dose of that in the film I saw of yours the other there day. There was some, yeah. There was a lot of oak in there. Yeah. And so oak are one of those shrubs that's way more nutritious than the other shrubs they end up with later in the year, like, you know, service berry, buck brush, we often call it. Are they, are they eating the leaves off of those yeah. shrubs? So yeah, the oak, they're eating the, the leaves, the green leaves off of those. Same with aspen? Yep. Aspens, you know, how you usually get like that. Uh, they, they really prefer, like, an aspen community is almost like one great big yeah. organism. Right. One big root. <laughs> yeah, they they're gonna go after the the very succulent ends off the limb or any new sprouts or whatever you want to call it you know, coming up out know. of the ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then with the gambles oak, uh, you know, sometimes there's actually a an acorn crop on some of yeah. that, and so they they can do that. And then on the mahogany, you get the current year growth on that mahogany that's about. I don't know, two, three inches long. That's just really soft and, and lush. Man, they're just like, <clears throat> put on the feed bag. Yeah. So. You see, I don't pay a lot of attention to feed during hunting season because we're primarily hunting during the rut. So I'm using a bugle tube to, to find the elk. Um, but in the spring, man, when we're shed hunting, that's what I'm looking for. You know, I'm, I'm looking for, and it's usually the dry stems of willows and aspens and stuff that you can see. They're just mowed off at the end. Everything within about a, I don't know, an eighth of an inch or something, that and smaller is just chomped right off. And you're like, man, the elk spent the winter in here. They ate everything off of these things. And Yeah. Yeah. This time of year, elk are way more mobile. Yeah. You know, the abundance of where they can find what they need, the entire landscape is available to them. Yeah. And so they're moving and you need to be moving. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to put it. Oh. But so those are some of the questions that we've had. I don't know if I've made up good enough answers or people are just like, <laughs> he's full of it. What a blowhard. Uh, well, there's just so like, you know, I've just, I've never studied the feed part of things because I haven't felt like I've needed to, to find elk. You know, I just, we are, our, our method is just go and cover a bunch of country with a bugle tube and get an answer. Yep. But there's a whole nother level of science there that, you know, you can find elk based on knowing the feed and just spending some time in the summer in the mountains you know, camping, hiking, yeah. backpacking, fishing, whatever, you're going to bump elk, you're going to see fresh elk tracks. And, you know, the, like you said, they don't have to move around on a year like this very much. So if you're seeing those tracks, look around and learn what the feed sources are, because the feed that we have in the, you know, 8,000 feet in Idaho, is going to be completely different than what you find in Southern Colorado, 
or completely different than what you find in New Mexico or Arizona or Oregon. You know, I mean, it's everything's got different kinds of forbs and grasses and shrubs. And so go out and see where the tracks are, where the sign is, notice what they're eating and then replicate that. And if you do see them, make really good notes and observations about, huh, wonder why they were in here. Well, there's probably a reason why they were there. We know why the bull was there, but <laughs> yeah, that's not going to help us. We got to know why the cows are there. Yeah. So I don't know. This time of year, I, I I struggle to really get too nerded out on forage in September because uh, on this kind of a year, when there's forage everywhere, like we said earlier, it's like huh, the entire landscape looks like a smorgasbord. <laughs> so. But we'll we'll get through archery season. I'll still have a tag in Montana, and then I'll get to rifle season. Then I'll worry about it. Yep, I have a so. I have a rifle tag this year as well. In in Idaho, Idaho. yeah. Oh, I'll so, heck with you. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm uh, That's I'm right. excited. You guys, can, you, you guys can buy a second tag when non-residents turn them back. We can. So uh, yeah. after the first of August, so non-residents get full exclusive access to all the non-resident tags until the 1st of August. And then after the 1st of August, if there's anything turned back in or left over, a resident can purchase it at the non-resident price. So there just yeah. happened to be a, a later season rifle tag available. And I thought, well, that just gives me another reason to be out in the woods <laughs> for a week later in the fall. So Donnie and there I actually go. each got a, got a rifle tag. So we're I texted Bo Beatty and said, hey, do you happen to have a couple llamas that would be available in uh, late October, early November? And he assured me that he would make sure that there were a couple available. So, Okay. Well, that's good to know because I'm renting a whole herd of them. That's the last, <laughs> last part of October. I know. It's <laughs> a pretty popular time. So, Yeah. I you know, I'd be like one of those. The, what's that jungle boy kid who rode on the back of the elephant? I'm I'm waiting to put together like four llamas that I could just sit up there. And like, <laughs> in my luck, they'd get tired of that and they'd just dump the whole wagon and I'll be cartwheeling down the side of the mountain. I told you about my daughter Jessie's plan, right? She she oh. wanted to hunt with llamas and she was going to lead them side by side and put a board over the top of the pack saddles between them and then sit on that board. Yeah. So uh-huh. like we got a wide trail, little chariot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that works until one decides he wants to lead and the other wants to follow. I say, I've never seen two of them walk side by side and be very happy about it for very long. No. Oh, they aren't. That's one thing about llamas. You are not going to yoke them together and go side by side because mm-hmm. one of them's going to be more dominant than the other there's a pecking order and if it hasn't already been determined it's going to be real shortly yeah and the 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 dude who's in charge decides who goes first who goes second who goes third and if he doesn't like being in the back he's going to let you know yeah and i was going to say the one that's in charge might not might not want to be in front but he's going to go where he wants to be (laughs) when he finally calms down you're like oh he wanted to be number two okay that's fine Yeah, you, I guess you learned that a little bit. I was there's a little trial and error. Yeah, it's like, man, they're really pulling here. Or these two, you know, when we go, we usually take four. And so I'll lead two and Donnie yep. will lead two. 
And sometimes there's one in the back that just doesn't want to be there. He can't see the front ones. And so you put him in front and he's just fine. And the other one's like, we don't care if they get ahead of us. And so it's a little bit of a, a guessing game there until you get it figured out. Yeah, usually the problem children are the young three- and four-year-olds, kind of <laughs> like in the human world, right? By the time you get in your 40s, you're like, whatever. Yeah, yeah my wife yeah. probably wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, he's still a problem child. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm hoping that people are are going out. Hope they uh, hope they find some, you know, some tag, some place that, that they can go you know yeah. i <clears throat> i there are still some i was just out looking Corey, uh out on the idaho website Don't i was out there that this morning. Here. That's, uh, no uh, no uh, you already got to i know there are tags wow. available in idaho for a non-resident so it's uh and so i just thought you know people yeah. need to know that you could still go if you want to. I don't yeah. want to hear any sniveling and whining out there. That oh boy, I didn't get to go this year. It you know? becomes over the counter at this point, so they could literally buy a tag right now. Right now, there are 556 non-resident elk tags available that you can go and buy one of them. Boom. Right now. That probably won't be, but. <laughs> so. By the time this podcast airs, I don't know how many will be there, but if you aren't paying attention, uh, you probably aren't going to get any. Yeah. So, yeah. 2023 non-resident elk tag limits and caps. Tag limit in column left. Tags remaining column right. There you go. Yeah. What do I know? No excuses. It's yeah. not as fun as waiting in line and getting put in a waiting room on December first, oh, and going so. through all of that headache. And you know, it's not it's not as fun as that. But now you can just go to yeah. their website, click on it, and say, <laughs> "Put this in my cart and give it to me." And nobody's standing in line. Nobody's putting you in a wait. You just go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine the guy who might have missed? five hours of work one day waiting in line and now he goes on there and he looks he's like there's still leftover tags yeah now what, what, what? to be fair uh, these probably aren't the most desirable ones but with 500 and some tags i mean they're spread over a pretty good cross section of different right areas within the state so well they might not yeah. be your first choice they're an elk tag there is absolutely a guaranteed population of elk in that zone and you can go and hunt on public yeah. land. Yeah. So I don't know if we should be telling people that stuff. <laughs> wow. That was not you a know? very nice thing to say, Randy. <laughs> well, next year I might be that guy looking for one of those. Exactly. <clears throat> and I'm going to say that Corey Jacobson told everybody how to do this. No, oh, no we, tags. We get plenty of that. There's plenty of people that blame us yeah. for ruining hunting and. Yeah, Telling everybody but, to come hunting. Yeah, well, you know what? That's just how she goes. <laughs> and that's Grandma Harriet, who was the the completely inefficient—well, not inefficient—the incompetent uh, cooker of red meat. Grandma Harriet used to say, "You've mistaken me for someone who cares about your hurt feelings." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I try not to say that, but there's times I feel to say that it way. very often. <laughs> yeah. I just think of Grandma Harriet with her Paul Mall non-filter hanging off the end of her mouth. Oh, my goodness. You, you have any parents, grandparents that smoke? Oh, oh, yeah. My grandparents on my mom's side, my grandma. Yeah. It was it was Marlboro, however you say oh, it. Yeah. But, yeah, it was, man, she smoked. She smoked well, at like least a she, chimney. At least she went for the filtered side if she oh, did Marlboro. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, my grandma... Harriet and Grandpa Bob, they did Paul Mall non-filters all their life. They told her, Harriet, that stuff's going to kill you. Sure enough, it did. Yep. She died at age 86. <laughs> Outlived a lot of people that never touched a cigarette in their life, probably. Yeah, I I wouldn't encourage it, though. No. Oh, she, I can't imagine what she would have had for a retirement fund if she hadn't spent that much money on smokes every day. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if anyone is, is saying they can't afford to go hunting or buy a tag or travel wherever, but you're smoking or chewing, you're you can, done. That argument is done with me. You can kill two birds with one stone right there. There you go. I got a therapy here for you. Uh-oh. you. Use the idea of going on an elk hunt as a motivation to quit that tobacco problem. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, I, I use the money you save to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, if you want to keep chewing or smoking, it's none of my business. But just don't, you know, be out there complaining on Facebook about the price of a non-resident elk tag or something, <laughs> or the price, you know, price of a fishing license or something. Uh, you know, same yeah. thing if you, you know, if you drink a twelve pack of beer every Friday night, you know. And the same kind of thing. Yeah. Just drink just drink two beers. You know, drink, <laughs> drink a 12-pack a month instead of a 12-pack every two days or something. Yeah, or the, the coffee in the morning or, you Ooh, know. Special, no, hey, not all these other people out there who are saying that about you right now. They're like, oh, hey, you're, you're getting awful personal here. And I know. Uh, so here's how I've solved that. And people are going to hear a little ad in this podcast is I make my own coffee at home now. I do a little pour over jobby. Really? Have you ever seen me making my own coffee? I don't think I have. Oh, my wife says I concentrate more on making my own coffee than I do anything in my life. Wow. I'm like, wow. I must get this really intense look, but there's this <laughs> group, uh, Elkhorn Coffee Roasters. They're yeah. based in Bozeman. Who's the owner uh, of that? Uh, Scott and April Parson. Yeah, I met Scott. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he's uh, there, there's you know just your classic mom and dad starting out the business. The kids go there and work at it, and it's so you and I being appreciative of the hardworking American. Uh, if anyone wants to save some money, use promo code Elk Talk out at. Uh, Really? Alcorn coffee, Alcorn coffee roasters, nice. and people get to save some money. Excellent. And they won't have to pay that Starbucks. That, uh, uh, that's, that that's where I was know, going with it. If you want to save money, uh, cut out that seven dollar, whatever they Star- call those. I, I'm not a coffee drinker, so that's uh, you know. I'm, well, most of the things you order at a Starbucks looks like a root beer float or something. Exactly. I, I don't know what. 
like what is in that thing? Yeah. Now Fra- they're different. Frappuccino, macchiato, something or another. Uh, you got to speak Italian or Spanish or French or something, which right there's caused to not order one. Uh, <laughs> but and you know, you drive, you, you go to the Starbucks, and you know, you. I think that dude who served me that pizza and got me food poisoned up there in in uh, Portland was a goofy looking dude. A lot of those riffraff working at the Starbucks ain't a whole lot different. I mean, I'm, I've questioned my sanity of, do I really want to eat something or drink something that came across that counter there? But uh, just make by your golly, own. By golly, you'll go walking into Dairy Queen and pick something across that counter. Well, that's true. <laughs> but... Usually it's been frozen long enough. I guess that's true. You freeze something long enough and it's bound to kill most of the time. Yeah, I I hope I don't get anything from the Dairy Queen. But anyhow, if you want to save money on coffee, make your own. Don't drive through that, you know, whatever joint there, you know. Make your own. You get up five minutes earlier in the morning, make your own coffee, and you can afford a non-resident elk tag next year. Yeah, or this year. I'm on, sure. I'm on the website right now, and I'll tell you, yeah, if you're looking in Idaho at the Lolo zone, the Middle Fork zone, the Selway zone, those are tough. They're, I mean, there are absolutely elk in every one of those zones. Don't get me wrong. Access is a little limited to a degree, but there are elk there, and there are A tags and B tags available in all three of those zones. But there are also other zones that are highly desirable zones right now that are available i know so there you go i know that go hunt i know go and yeah. get an elk tag and go elk hunting yeah and don't blow all your money on smokes and snooze and coffee and when you run into the locals don't tell them that you're hunting there because Corey and randy motivated you to do it then i'll get yeah. more Nasty emails from people saying, you're ruining hunting. There's more people in my spot than ever. I'm like, eh, maybe in your <laughs> spot, but the state of Idaho has limited the number of tags sold for a long time. And you, know, they, you guys only do 12,000 non-resident elk tags. You need to get with the program. We do 17,000 here in Montana. We actually lower and then, you, and then you can get over-the-counter cow tags all over Montana. We, they always tell us, oh, you only got 17,000 non-resident hunters in Montana. We had almost, I can't remember what it was, like 40-some thousand when you counted all the doe tags and, really? and cow elk tags. Yeah. Wow. So, I, no wonder our resident fees are so low. Yeah. You know, people crazy enough to come here and buy a cow tag for whatever it is. I, I don't <laughs> even know. I, you know, but anyhow. Yeah. Elkhorn Coffee Roasters. That Go there. Cool. Use promo code Elk Talk. Save yourself some money. And it, it, the, the best coffee known to man is the Big Hank version of Elkhorn Coffee Roasters. I have yet to send that as a gift to somebody or serve it to somebody who did. They didn't say, whoa, where, what, what coffee is this? So hmm. there, there you go. go. Yeah. Save, save some money. You know, never pay full retail. That's right. I'm going to go to Elk Talk. If it doesn't work, call Corey. He'll fix that for you. <laughs> My default is always Randy. Like, if, if Elk Talk doesn't work, you know, there's always, I don't know what you have. If you have a, a fresh tracks code somewhere or something, there's the Elk 101. Try all those. But if everything else fails, just say, you know what, just go ahead and use code Randy. 
There you go. And I have I yet know. to be denied. I mean, <laughs> I think I think you could probably, if you said it with enough confidence, get a discount at Walmart using code <laughs> Someone told me that they think people, companies are are using promo code Randy, even though I don't have a relationship. Exactly. <laughs> so many people are trying it on their website. They're like, just make it, make it one that works. Yeah, I need, I need to patent that or okay. trademark that or whatever. I, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, so I'm trying to think of what else we problems we got to solve for the world before we head out out cotton Corey. i know i i hate cutting these short especially knowing that this podcast specifically is probably yeah. going to be the most listened to podcast driving to elk camp in september this year and so mm-hmm. just want to make sure people are inspired and motivated and given a boost of yeah. confidence to get out there and make it happen yeah yeah do that yeah this is going to be the greatest elk season ever best one Best one this year for sure. I absolutely the best one this year. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the I mean, best one we, we talk about thought, it. Eleven months out of the year, we look forward to it, and it's here. It's here. So enjoy yeah. it. Don't stress about it. Don't you know fret about not filling a tag. Go and enjoy. I mean, yeah, try to fill a tag and have fun. Mm-hmm. But this is what we this is what we dream about, and it's here. So yeah, yeah. You, you know, if if you end up getting fired because you're doing too much elk hunting, well, you didn't want to work at that joint anyhow. I'll say you didn't have a good job if you got fired for hunting elk too much. No, you were looking for a job when you got this one. <laughs> yeah, I've never fired or laid anyone off because they hunted too much. Really? Even at the CPA firm, it's like, oh boy, we're up against a big deadline. But hey, if you got a hunt lined up, you just go. You know that. <laughs> this client teach them to extend their tax return. <laughs> you know, uh, there's only so many hunting seasons in a person's lifetime, Corey. And what do you say? You'll run out of health before you run out of money. Yep. Uh, I, I see that on a frequent basis. You see people running out of health. Yeah. And you don't want to rub it in, but in your mind, it causes you to think, I bet you that person doesn't say, gee, I'm glad I hunted too much. Yep. So, yeah, go. That's right. And if your employer says anything about it, have them call me. (laughs) I'll set them straight. I'll tell them where the bear poops in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Brandy's full of vinegar today. I mean, mean, we we don't live in elk country for the money. That's true. Right? That is true. If, If you and I wanted to make lots of money, we would not be living in Montana or Idaho. Not in the places we live in Montana and Idaho, especially. Yeah. We live here to hunt for the elk hunting. Yeah. We don't tell our wives that, but that's really why why we live here. (laughs) And if your employer can't deal with that, well, go get a different job. Man, preach it, Randy. Huh? Some people would be like, Nuber, are you going to give me a job? I got yeah. laid off. I I all kind of two extra days. I showed up. They had all my stuff in a box and said, see you later. <laughs> well, you don't want to work for that that outfit anyhow. Exactly. Then, but, There's a lot you know. of people looking for good employers right now. So, Or good employees right now. A lot yeah, of employers crazy. looking for good employees. Yeah. So go enjoy your outcome. Yep. I, I'm pretty sure your employer will understand it. And right now it's an employee's market anyhow, right? Yep. 
You walk in there and say, hey, hey, boss, you know, I might have to quit if you don't give me an extra week off for elk season. I bet you the boss would say, all right, see you in two weeks instead yep. of one week. So, no, the real boss at home, well, that I'm not going to tell you how to handle that deal. Yeah, that's the next podcast, Marriage Advice from Randy and Corey. Is uh, if, you, if, you get, if the boss at home fires you, then you've got problems. Yeah. That, that's not good. That that that's just don't go there. <laughs> so. We better turn this oh, off, Corey. I'm about stop. ready to say something that'll really get us in trouble. Yeah, I was right. watching. Yeah. I was watching the news last night, and I'm just like, man. Why do I, my uncle's got it pegged right? He calls it. Yeah, I'm gonna go watch the bad news. Is what he says. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't even call it the news. Just the bad news. The, the bad news. Time to watch the bad news. That's, uh, why did so I even true. bother turning? Why did I bother turning this on? And I, a couple of anecdotes from the newscast last night. I almost said them. Some rabbit hole, but I'm not gonna. Okay. So That'll leave us in suspense. Well, no, I don't want to ruin a good day. You know, you got a weekend coming up, elk season coming up. Who the hell cares about that stuff that's on the on the bad news? Exactly. Yep. You know, for, forget about those people. They'll still be around when elk season's over. That, they, they'll still be fighting and arguing and throwing the same you know, things, the same stories as what there was ten years ago. You could go and watch mm-hmm. the news from ten years ago and be like, "Wow, I didn't realize that yeah. was going on right now." <laughs> So, did I ever tell you about the time when I, I went to D.C. lobbying on the Land and Water Conservation Fund? I think this was in 2013, 14 or 15. And your senator, Senator Rich, was one of the people the lobbyists brought me to see. And so there's kind of this lull. Uh, he, some, someone else who was supposed to be there, and he looks at me. He's like, you're from Montana. I'm like, yeah. He's like, what do you think of this operation here in D.C.? And the lobbyists, they kind of keep you on a tight leash. I said, uh, it reminds me of professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what? I'm like, well, it's all a big charade and a big game. You know, you got to have a villain and a, and a good guy. And, you know, uh, and then you go have drinks after you yell and scream at each other. You know, when the news cameras leave, everybody's pals again. <laughs> <laughs> he, he looked at me and like, yeah. All right. He just kind of nodded his head like, yeah, I guess you got us now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But then the lobbyists, the, the the guys who were you know in charge of you know keeping me from saying anything too bad, they shuffled me out of there and hurry. Uh-huh. They're like, you know, you went you're not, you're not supposed to go off script like that. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, that's the stuff we talk about in Montana and Idaho. <laughs> well, he probably is going to go home tonight, and his wife will say, "Well, any interesting conversations today?" And he'll say, "Yeah, some guy from Montana got us figured out. He said that politics is just like professional wrestling." <laughs> And he probably he probably turned on his TV and scrolled through and looked for Hulk Hogan and yeah. Macho Man Savage and yeah. Yeah. Rowdy Rowdy Piper and the whole, the whole works, you know. Yeah, yeah, it just reminded me of that guy. Reminded me, I've been missing out on the, all of this. Yeah, so you know, well, that, that has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that the that, that the news is kind of like WWE. It's it's the same business model, yeah. right? You, you got to have a good guy and a bad guy, and depending on what channel you're on, well, on this channel, that dude's the good guy, and these are the bad guys, and 
screaming and yelling and you, you can't even hear what they're saying. They're yelling at each other so much. It's like, didn't your parents teach you any manners? Uh, no. Anyhow, that has nothing to do with Alcon. It doesn't, but it's all Zero. season. And, Clear uh, your mind of that stuff. Ignore <laughs> it. It's static. That's all it is is static. Uh, go watch professional wrestling before you watch that stuff. No, just go elk hunting. Don't watch either of them. They're both mostly go. Mostly go. go. <laughs> yeah. But one of them called me the other day and wanted me to be on a Wednesday night talk show on one of the news channels. I'm like, really? I'm busy, man. Yeah. You didn't yeah. do it? Oh, man, no. you'd, you'd be good on a talk show. No, I... Uh, I think they weeded me out. It's kind of like jury selection. If you want to get off a jury, just say you're a CPA. You'll really? get booted out of every jury pool there is. Really? Yeah, because CPA is everything's black or it's white. There's none of this gray area. So there's not a defense attorney in the world that wants to have a CPA on a jury because there's, you're guilty or you're, you're innocent and you're probably guilty. Yeah. So... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so this is somewhat related. I uh, I got called in for jury duty last week, oh. and I had to show up for selection. And uh, you know they went through and they they weed out people pretty quickly to start with. You know anybody in here mm -hmm. that's been convicted of a felony or you know <laughs> whatever the questions are, and and yeah. then uh, they go through and pretty soon a guy raises his hand and he said, "You know I've got a real problem with law enforcement." They they railroaded me a few years ago, and I just I I can't get over that, and that's just it. It makes me mad sitting here in a courtroom, and uh, I just I don't think I could be. I I would stick up for the guy that's being defended here because I don't like law enforcement. He was gone, and the judge said, uh, "Counsel, any concerns with letting him go home?" <laughs> nope, nope. And I thought, man, that's a good one. If I need to get out of jury duty sometime. I'm just, uh, he, he, I don't know. Didn't even I don't know how I connected the dot. To, how did I get on jury duty? Yeah, being from big time wrestling, wrestling to jury duty yeah. to uh, it's elk season. Let's let them go because we're going to come I am up with sure something else. People are like, boy, these guys really added a lot of value today. But all we found is just their their view of the world of politics being nothing more than WWE. <laughs> mean Gene Okerlund being your MC or whatever. So. Uh, well, we we apologize for the last twenty five minutes of this <laughs> podcast because there's not been a whole lot of value there. So. Uh, in case anyone doesn't know, it's been a stressful week here in Bozeman, Montana. So no. I just I know Randy's, I got all Randy's got it all released here. Yeah, got it all off my chest, and now I'm I'm getting ready to go on a hike this afternoon and. Maybe I'll bring my flute with me and see if any elk answer. There you go. Yeah. Bring your pipe. What am, I supposed to, what am I supposed to do if they answer? Don't call them in. Just get an answer and move on. Move on. Don't educate them. Yeah. Okay. Not yet. Got it. Yeah. All right. Got it. <laughs> Thanks uh, for being here, folks. Yeah, Have a great weekend, Corey. You too, and best of luck to everybody out there chasing elk. Yep. Get them. Shoot them a little bit. <laughs>